Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open to Second Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15, if you would, please. I want to preach to you today a message entitled, The Courage of Revival. The Courage of Revival. As you read through the history of the Jews in the Old Testament, if you're really paying attention, it can be pretty frustrating. Because there's so many instances of repeated rebellion, followed by the predictable outcome of God's judgment on them. And it's just, it seems like starting in really in, in Exodus almost, but uh, certainly by the time you come to the book of Judges, you have just this vicious cycle over and over and over again, uh, where, the, where God's people sin against the Lord and they're punished and they're judged and, uh, and then eventually they repent and God restores uh, their blessing. But honestly, it seems like most of the time they're sinning. Most of the time that they're, they're rebelling, they're into idolatry, and they're doing all kinds of things that they shouldn't. But thankfully, it's not all the time. There are some high points, and there are some times where, as a nation, they experienced genuine spiritual revival. They repented of their sins, they returned to a place of full obedience, and they experienced God's blessings again. Which, by the way, that's what revival really is. It is when God's people get back to a place of total surrender and total obedience to God, and therefore they experience God's fullest blessings once again. Revival is not necessarily a series of meetings. You can schedule meetings all day long and not have revival. Revival is not necessarily attracting a large crowd. You can get thousands upon thousands of people together and there not be genuine revival. Sometimes those things occur, revival and large gatherings or a series of meetings at the same time. But revival in its most basic sense is when God's people return to a place of full obedience. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, we have the record of a revival that took place in the nation of Judah under the leadership of a king by the name of Asa. Now, we're going to see from this chapter, first of all, the condition of the nation prior to the, this revival. It was, it was horrible. They were without a true God, without a teaching priest, without the law, and they were in great trouble. And so at the opening of this chapter, God sends a, a prophet to warn them, but also to encourage the nation and the king that if they would repent and turn to God, God would deliver them from their hardships once again. Let's begin reading here in Second Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought Him, He was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to Him that went out, nor to Him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And the nation was destroyed of nation, 
and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. Asa responded to this message from God, according to verse number 8, with courage. And it took courage for him to do what he did, to lead the nation in revival. Steps would have to be taken that might upset some people, even potentially cause some people to be violent in retribution. And if he had been a coward, he would have simply allowed the people to keep doing what they were doing. Instead, it says that he took courage and he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin. He led the people to renew the altar. Later they would restart the practice of public assembly for instruction in the Word of God and sacrifice. There was a a, a real affirmation of their commitment to follow the Lord and ultimately a genuine reunion with the Almighty. Make no mistake, if you or I or this church or our nation is going to experience revival of any sort, then it's going to take courage. It takes courage to admit that we're wrong and we need revival. It takes courage to admit that our friends, our family, our nation is wrong. And it takes even more courage to do something about it, to make it right. But if we're to experience revival, then we have to be brave enough to deal with the sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father... I do pray that you would help us this morning as we look at this wonderful story from the Old Testament and see how it so, just so clearly illustrates the need that is often in our lives but certainly in our culture around us, the need for revival. And may we learn from the example of Asa what we must do in order to see that revival happen. And Lord, I pray that you would Just have your way and have your will in our lives and in this church to glorify yourself. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline's pretty simple. First of all, we're going to see the condition of Israel. And then secondly, we're going to see the courage of Asa. I am not going to promise that I will get through all of this this morning. I really, really want to get back to Judges and talk about jail and the nail again. Um, so if we get through what Second uh, Chronicles 15 today, we'll do that tonight, but I'm, I'm not too hopeful. Sometimes as I'm going through and typing up my notes, they just keep getting longer and longer and longer, and I think, yep, that's going to be a two-parter there, but uh, we'll see. The two parts, just so you know, again, are the condition of Israel and then the courage of Asa. So let's notice, first of all, the condition of Israel. From the verses that we've read already, um, we, we find that Israel up to this point had been in a pretty bad situation spiritually and politically. It had been a rough time. Now, just for context of history here, we're at a point in the history of Israel 
Um, and it's after King Solomon has died, after the Israel has split into two kingdoms. You have the southern kingdom, which was made up of Judah and Benjamin. And then you had the northern ten tribes of Israel that uh, made up Israel itself. So you now have... Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom. And this story takes place in that southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And um, it opens in this chapter with a, um, a prophet by the name of Azariah coming to King Asa to deliver a message from the Lord. That message is found in verse number 2. He said, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. This is a message that is both a, a warning and an encouragement to do what is right. But verse number 3 describes the conditions that Israel had been living under, Judah had been living under. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God. And he's referring there not just to that northern kingdom, but all twelve tribes, so Judah and Israel. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought Him, He was found of them. So there's some some components here. To, let's break it down into to really understand what they were going through. First of all, it says that they were without the true God. For a long season, Israel hath been without the true God. And that's a very interesting, interesting expression there, to say that they were without God. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that God had abandoned them? That God had walked away? That God had left them? No, he, he, he's already prefaced this in, in verse number 2 when he says, as long as you're with God, God's with you. No, the problem was not that God had left them. The problem was they had left God. They had forsaken the Lord. Notice again in verse 4, it says, When they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel. Well, if you're going to turn to something, what does that imply that you were previously? You were turned away from it. So this is what he means when he says that they were without the true God. It meant that they had turned away from the Lord. They were no longer following Him. They were living in sin. For them to be able to get right with God, they would have to turn back to Him because they had previously turned away. Turn back to chapter 14 here of Second Chronicles. Asa comes in, and in contrast to the kings prior to him, 2 Chronicles 14.2 says that Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange God, gods in the high places, and brake down the images, and cut down the groves, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. So they have a little bit of insight about what exactly was going on, what was involved in their turning away from the Lord. When you turn from something, you are by default turning to something. What did they turn to instead of the Lord? They had turned to idol worship. They had begun to worship the false gods of the heathen nations around them. They had built groves and they had built altars and they had designated places where they would go and they would participate in this idolatrous worship. 
They had turned their back on the true God and worshipped false gods. They had given time and energy and money to establish places of worship for idols. That was the direction they had been going in previously. They had turned from God. And so God says through this prophet Azariah, you've been without the true God because you've turned your back on Him. You know, just because our national motto is still technically, in God we trust, doesn't mean that God is the God of America. And just because a person says, I'm a Christian, just because they show up at a church service, doesn't mean that they are truly following God. Actions mean a lot more than words. And Israel could still claim to be the people of God. And they were God's chosen people. But they were not following the true God. They were worshiping idols. That was the direction that they were going. What direction are you facing this morning? Are you facing toward God or away from Him? By that, let me break that down. What do I mean by that? What, what, think of it this way. What are the guiding principles in your life right now? What are the things that are dictating your choices, that are informing your decisions? What are those principles? Are you being guided by the truth of God's word? Are you being guided by the desire to do what is right and to please him? If so then you're going in the right direction. You are facing God. He is the one that is your focus. He is the one who's leading you. Or are you being guided by the desires of your flesh? Are you being guided by your own wisdom and understanding? Are you being guided by the current of our culture? If so, then you've turned away from the Lord. You're going in a different direction. You're not following Him. What is your direction? If you are following God, if if you're going in His direction, then you'll be guided by His commands and principles. You'll be motivated by a desire to do whatever His will is and to please Him and to glorify Him with your life. If you're going in a different direction than that, any direction, you have turned away from the Lord whether it's your feelings and your emotions and your moods that are guiding you, you're not following the Lord. Or whether you're being guided by popular opinions, you're not following God. Or if you're being guided by desires and passions and pleasures, you're not following God. And so if your decisions are being informed by feelings, worldly philosophy, instead of being informed by God through His Word, then you're going the wrong direction. And you need revival. I look at our country today, and to me, the answer seems pretty obvious. If you ask the question, which direction are we going? I think as a whole, it's pretty obvious that our nation for a long time is not going toward the Lord, but away from the Lord. I break that down even smaller, and I look at the church in America, and I ask the question, what direction are we going? Are we going away from the Lord, or are we going to the Lord? Certainly when you look at many of the mainline denominations, it's apparent that they're going away from the Lord. 
You see all of the, the heresies, all of the perversions, all of the um, false doctrine that is being promoted in church today. It's obvious they're not going in the direction of the Lord because they're not going in the direction of the Bible. Some of them have openly said, we don't follow what the Bible says. And I break it down even smaller and I think about churches that are more like ours. Which direction are we going? More and more what you see is, is, is churches like ours who are going in the right direction, which I pray we are going in the right direction. We certainly are striving to go in the right direction and follow the Word of God. But churches that once stood where we stood some time ago decided that they would, they would alter course just a little bit, start going in a little bit different of a direction. And you know what happens as time passes, you may just alter course just a little bit, but you go further and further and further down the road, what happens? You get farther and farther and farther away. And there are churches who once were churches that stood where we stood, still stand today, who now no longer believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God, no longer believe in the inspiration and the preservation of the Word of God, no longer believe in practical sanctification and separation from sin and sinful influences, no longer believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of the Gospel, and they have turned to worldly ways in, in trying to build a church and uh, using a, a, a model of church growth in which they say we will become whatever the community needs us to be. And I wonder about the direction of Christians in America individually. So many Christians are getting sucked into worldly philosophy today. Primarily, right now, you know, just the day we live, most everybody gets their information from the Internet. All right, that can be good because there's a wealth of information, but with that, that can also be very bad because there's a wealth of bad information out there. And there are a lot of Christians that are being sucked away today, not because, listen, they're changing their positions, not because they read the Bible and they saw in the Bible that the Bible said that they should do something different than they've been doing. But they've changed their position because somebody who had really good lighting and a nice uh, camera on their phone posted this really slick-looking video that sounded very convincing, and they said, okay, well, I'm going to go that way. I'm concerned about Christians in America today. I'm very concerned even for myself. Because it's very easy to get sucked up in false doctrine. To be confused by the slick salesmen that Satan has. We have to make sure that we are going in God's direction. They were without the true God. But then, number two, and what we'll see is all of these are related. Number two, they were without a teaching priest. Notice that was what the message in verse number three said. For a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest. Okay, so this is Old Testament, different economy, different way of doing things. New Testament, we have the New Testament church. We have the regular gathering of the church in which pastors and teachers instruct God's people in the Word of God. In the Old Testament, it was different. They had a class called the priests. All right, They were a specific family in Israel, the family of the Levites, and it was their job to lead in the public worship of the Lord and to instruct God's people in the law of God. That was their job. 
And part of the blame for Israel's condition lay at the feet of the priests. The priests were not doing their job. They'd been without a teaching priest. It's not that the priests weren't there. They existed. They just weren't doing their job. They were supposed to instruct the people in the law of God. Leviticus 10.11 says, speaking of the family of the Levites, that they may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. That was their job. That was what they were supposed to do, to teach people what God said. Very clearly. Not to teach people their theories about what God said. Not to teach people the, uh, uh, the latest psychobabble that, that helps explain, you know, maybe what God might have meant by what He said. No, their job was to teach people, this is what God says. Teach the law. And they weren't doing it. They'd failed. Now, let me say this. This does not excuse the sinful choices that the people made to turn from God does not excuse it in any way. They were responsible for those choices. But it does help explain the culture that that they were in that led them in that direction. They weren't being taught the Bible. Well, if these priests weren't teaching the Bible, what were they doing? We're not told exactly. Maybe they were doing nothing. Or maybe they were teaching about things that sounded religious, but they weren't actually teaching the truth of the Bible. Turn to the book of Malachi, if you would. Malachi chapter 2. That's a little minor prophet at the very end of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. This is later in Israel's history, but these verses, I think, describe a similar situation about what's going on here without having a teaching priest. Malachi chapter 2. Verses 7 and 8. It says, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. That is, the nation should be seeking truth of the word of God from the priest. They should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye have departed out of the way, Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Now that was written to the priests. He says, you have caused people to stumble at the law. Instead of helping them to understand it and live it, you've caused them to trip over it. Either through not teaching it at all or teaching it wrongly, they had caused people to stumble and fall. And the condition in Israel at this time when Asa came to the throne is that they had been without a teaching priest for a long time. People just had not been taught the Word of God. Hosea, I believe, says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We're living in the most biblically illiterate generation that America has ever seen. It used to be that Everybody had at least a basic understanding of what the Bible says. Because the Bible was a part of American curriculum going all the way back to our founding. When you went to school, when you learned to read, what was one of the first things you learned to read? The Bible. You may have only thrown three books in your house. One of those books was the Bible. 
Just basic biblical knowledge was, was woven into the fabric of our culture. Not anymore. And we have a generation of Americans who are ignorant of the Bible. And what's even worse is they're happy to remain that way. They, they don't even want to know. They've been convinced that the Bible is a useless old book of fairy tales. So why do I need to read that? You know, one of the evidences that we need revival is a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. A lack of regular instruction in God's Word because we need to learn more about God all the time. That teaching, we need to be receiving truth about God. We need to be having repetition and reinforcement of the truth that we've already learned. But a life that is characterized by a lack of biblical instruction and learning is a life that needs revival. Listen, I I am fully aware as a preacher that most of the time when I stand up and I teach and I preach the Word of God, Most of the time, the majority of the people to whom God has called me to speak in that instance have heard what I'm saying in one form or another before. I get that. There's a couple of you that have been alive even longer than me. And so, you've heard a lot of what I've said from other people in different ways. It's very rare that I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say something And it's going to hit someone in our congregation and be like, I have never heard that before. Maybe sometimes that happens. But most of what teaching is, is repetition and reinforcement. Because I don't know about you, but I tend to forget things. And I need to be reminded of it. That's why in our personal lives, we should be reading the Bible all the time. I mean, to say, well, I read the Bible once, I don't need to read it again. I mean, that... Honestly, it's a pretty, pretty naive way to look at it because unless you are a very exceptional person with an incredible level of intelligence and memory like Daniel Lucius, you need to read it more than once. And I, I, you've, already, you've read it more than once, even you. Oh, that's right, you memorized it the first time. That's right. <laughs> no, we need it. We need that, that repetition. We need that reinforcement. But what does the Bible say about the end times? Paul told Timothy that in in the, the last days that people would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And here's here's the tricky part. We have more teachers today than we've ever had. But the question is, what are they teaching? Are they actually teaching the Bible? Or are they teaching their philosophies or some other man's philosophies or their ideas? Or are they just telling, you know, really emotionally gripping stories? What are they teaching? I love the, the phrase in that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4. They shall heat to themselves teachers having itching ears. Itching ears. You know, whenever you have an itch, your natural urge is to scratch it. 
I just say that, and all of a sudden, sometimes your skin starts crawling. You know, you're like. Think about this. Dr. Alman, you help me out here. Medically speaking, if you have an itch and you scratch it, does it cure the itch? No. It doesn't solve the problem. It just temporarily relieves the irritation. Like if you get poison ivy. Caleb. Caleb is so allergic to poison ivy, he can look at a picture of it in a magazine and get it. <clears throat> you get poison ivy and you have those rashes and you just you want to you scratch them. But you know if you scratch them, it's not going to really help you. In fact, it can, it can hurt you. If you, you, know, you scratch so much and your skin breaks, it just, it's bad, right? You know, people today have an itch for information. They have an itch for information. And so they are searching for whoever will scratch that itch. And they are, they're all sorts of people today. We found everywhere, especially online. They'll scratch that itch for you. They'll, they'll give you some information. But the problem is, scratching the itch does not cure the problem. The real source of that desire is the void in our hearts when God is not in His proper place in our life. And until we put God in His proper place, we will never be satisfied. We will never, we, we will always have that irritation, if you will. They had been without a teaching priest. They had been without, without the true God. And then number three, they had been without the testimonies of the Lord. Without law, verse 3 says. Without law. Whose law? Well, any law. Specifically, God's law, though. This was a time of, of practical anarchy, if you will, in Israel's history. Because there had been no instruction by the teaching priest, and they had gone away from the Lord, there was no knowledge of God's law, and therefore no obedience to God's law. The law had been given by God through Moses. Part of the reason of giving that law was to establish the order that would govern the nation. Through the law, God also showed us our need for a Savior, because through the law we realize... I'm, I am not perfect. Even if I wanted to keep all of these rules, I can't do it. But as a nation, the law had been given to help them maintain order in society. It provided all the necessary rules and regulations for people to peacefully coexist and for people to be in a right fellowship with God as well. But they've been without law. Why is it that we're seeing in our country today a rise in anarchy. They just had the State of the Union address this last week. And they spent almost a million dollars to put up temporary fencing around the state capitol. Why? Because they were afraid somebody might riot. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of that particular instance. But I will say this. Is it not true that the number of riots and violent crimes and just what seems like downright lawlessness, isn't it true that that has increased in our nation recently? Why is that? Why is that? 
Because the further away from God that you go, the more evil and chaotic and violent life becomes. That's what happened in Israel. They were without law. And so life was characterized by all of these, all of these things. But it goes back to they were without the testimonies of the Lord. They didn't have the law. They didn't have this book guiding them. Very much like what Judges says, every man did that which is right in his own eyes. You know what that is? It's anarchy. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. Now, you may not be a political anarchist, but isn't it true that sometimes we act like spiritual anarchists? I'm going to do what I feel like doing. I'm going to do what feels right to me. I'm going to do what seems like the right thing for me to do in this situation. That's spiritual anarchy. And the result of that is always going to be destruction and devastation. They were without the testimony of the Lord. There's strife, there's war, there's tension, there's anxiety, there's sorrow, there's pain. And we all know that all of these things are bad. We all know that. You know how I know we know that? Because we try very hard to avoid them. We try very hard to avoid sorrow and anxiety and tension and conflict. We would, we would really just like to be left alone to live a peaceable life. And so we avoid these things at all costs in our, our personal lives. But when we're living without the guiding of God's law and we encounter tension and conflict, we try to solve that our own way and we only complicate the problem. Because you know how the world solves conflict? With more conflict. Tension with more tension. Strife with more strife. Pain with more pain. Sorrow with more sorrow. It's the old fighting fire with fire paradigm. That way of thinking. And the result is just a lot more fire. And an individual who is living without God's law, living however they have arbitrarily decided is best for them to live, and not by the prescribed way of living that God has given in His Word. That's a person who needs revival. They were without the true God, without a teaching priest, without the testimonies of the Lord, and so consequently, number four, they were in a lot of trouble. They were in a lot of trouble. When they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord, verse 4 says, they were in trouble. Notice again back in Second Chronicles 15, Verses 5 and 6 describe this trouble. It says, In those times there was no peace for him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries, and nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. For God did vex them all with adversity. So this is what we mean, they were in trouble. Not just they had to sit in time out for 20 minutes because they were in trouble. But life was horrible. There was no peace, whether they were coming or going. There was war. There was fighting. Nation to nation, city against city. They were vexed. And all of this was because of their backslidden condition. They had forsaken the Lord. They were not learning His word. They weren't following God's law. And so they experienced a whole lot of trouble. 
Life was unnecessarily hard. Now the truth is, life is filled with hardships. Suffering is a part of being a human being in this sinful world. So why make it harder if you don't have to? Think about that. Life is hard enough as it is. Why make it harder if you don't have to? And if you're not living like God wants you to live, then you're making life harder than you have to. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. God's way is the best way. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's way is the best way? Say amen if you do. Okay. Just want to make sure I wasn't alone here. God's way is the best way. There is no better way. You can't improve on life in any other way than to do it God's way. That also means this, if God's way is the best way, that means that every other way is worse than God's way. You following me so far? That means if we're living life in any other way but God's way, we're making it harder than it has to be. I didn't say that if you follow God, nothing will ever be hard. That's not what I said. That's not what God says. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, Job said. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. But thankfully he finished the sentence. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Yes, you're going to have tribulation. But in that you can have joy, you can have happiness, you can have cheerfulness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why make it unnecessarily hard? And listen, God doesn't even have to go out of His way to punish us for our sin. All He has to do is let sin run its natural course. Because James says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Jeremiah 2.19 says, Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, I, I don't think it's accurate to say that the amount of trouble we have is directly correlated to our need for revival. I don't think we can always make that distinction because we go through seasons of life when not because of any sin of ours or not because of any sin of someone else, but simply because God is doing a work in our life that we experience sufferings and trials and troubles. And it's not because we need revival or anybody around us need revival. It's just because we're sinners and God uses the suffering and the troubles and the tribulations to sanctify us and to teach us more about Himself. I, so I don't want it to seem to you like I'm saying that if, you're, if you have a lot of trouble, then that must mean you need revival. It's not necessarily the case. But I will say on the authority of the Word of God, when we are facing troubles because of sin, that's a sign that we're in need of spiritual revival. When the suffering we're going through is unnecessary, it's happening because we've sinned or someone else sinned, 
then that's indication that somewhere there needs to be a revival, a return to a place of full obedience to God so that we can receive God's fullest blessing on our life. It's what we need. But in order to experience that revival, we're going to have to have the courage to take the steps necessary. And Lord willing, tonight we'll get into those details as we look at the courage of Asa. But before we close this morning, I want you to stop with me and think and consider. Do you or does someone close to you need revival? We need to start with ourselves and ask the honest question, do I need revival? Have I been going in the right direction? Have I been consistently learning from the Word of God and growing in my knowledge of Him? Have I been living according to that knowledge? And if those things are not true, then chances are pretty high that you've been experiencing unnecessary trouble in your life. And you may not even have put two and two together, but right now, if you think about it, and you were to ask the Lord to show you, you would realize that the trouble is because of a sin. If that's the case, then you need revival. Or maybe it's someone very close to you. Maybe you have a friend, a close friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone you're acquainted with here at church. Or maybe you want to go even broader to that. And think about our, our community, our culture, our nation. When we go to that scale, I think it's obvious that we need revival. Well, how are we going to experience revival on that scale? It's got to start right here in my own heart and in the hearts of people that are close to me and around me. See, what Asa did, and we'll look at this tonight, what Asa did is he led the people around him into revival. He first decided that he would be right with God, and then he used his influence to lead others to be right with God. And God wants every one of us to do that same thing. First, be right with God ourselves. And then, use our influence to help others be right with God. Are you brave enough to do that? To do the hard things? To say the difficult things and have those conversations? To make the decisions? We're not going that direction. We're going this direction. One of my life verses is Joshua 1.9. God told Joshua, I'm not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. By the grace of God, we can have the courage to see revival.